0: More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at Sojourntulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. If you want to open your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 13, that's where we're going to be um, spending our time this morning, Um, or open your device. We will have the the, um, verses available on the screen as well. But Matthew 13, um, last week we looked at um, the seed and the soil, uh, the parable of the sower, so kind of the idea that we wanted to walk away from there was um, the, this press that Jesus was, was um, letting us know about um, on um, our response to the gospel, so the seed being the word of God and us being able to, I think we got a hum there, I don't know if it's, is that out there, can you guys hear that, is it echoing? Um, the seed being the word of God in that parable, and then um, us considering what are we doing with the seed in my daily response, my own um, my own dealing with the seed on a daily um, intake, but also the heart. And we looked at those four different types of hearts there um, and, and the posture of the heart, that was the soil. So we looked at the seed and the soil and um, in that, Um, This week, in in that, we saw those four levels. And First, the the hardened heart, and then the the superficial, shallow heart, and then the distracted, worldly heart. Um, This week, uh, and then the the last one was the the receptive heart, the softened heart that received the word. Um, This week, it's changing to where the seed um, is not God's word anymore. The seed in this parable is believers. It's going to be the sons and daughters of God. And so um, we're going to see that real clearly. Um, This week we're going to see this paradigm shift that Jesus gives as he's he's talking through these parables. um, There's this expectation of the people seeing what Jesus was doing with the miracles and the works and and all the, the things that he was doing and the beautiful teachings, the way he responded and reacted to everyone with such grace and mercy. Uh, but they kept waiting for this powerful militaristic leader to, to just 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 pop out of him, and for him to just you know blow the whistle or sound the alarm, and then all of these thousands of um, military guys to come, and they would they were wanting the old Israel to be restored, the Davidic kingdom to be restored, and the Old Testament had told them, "I'm going to send one uh, in, in the throne of David who's going to restore my kingdom," and they're going, "Yeah, yeah, that kind of Jerusalem, that kind of temple, that kind of Saul." Solomon and Davidic kingdom is what we're looking for. So if the first parable was Jesus sharing God's intentions of salvation to those who would believe, so so the soil that would receive the seed, the word, uh, to those who would receive it and believe, then it might have been very intentional for him to move to this next parable, now sharing God's intentions for those who are saved. So if the press of the first parable is, are you listening? are you hearing? Do you have the receptive heart? And if you are and you become a believer and you're regenerated, now let me express to you what that's going to be like being a believer in a fallen, evil-filled world. So that's what we're going to see in this parable. Um, now he's taking that idea and saying, um, I'm the author of this. I'm the authority. I'm the owner of the field. And I, if you have received the word, I want you to know what life as a believer in a fallen, evil satanically influenced world is going to be like. And so it's a broad picture. It's, it's, a, it's a big picture vision. And this is early on. So, so think through that. Um, this is just the introduction. He's just painting broad strokes for them, okay? So it, we're, we're at, the, at the end of the second year. And now he's going to start getting very specific. This is when he starts saying things, like they're having a good time, they're hanging out, and then all of a sudden, Jesus kind of says, yeah, and one day they're going to take me away. have me killed and they're just like man dude stop doing that like everyone's having a good time and then you just put the kibosh on the good good mood like what are you doing this for Um, remember in John 17 um, he says in his prayer to his father right before um, the cross I do not pray that you would take them out of the world father but leave them in the world and do not let them go towards Satan to keep them from Satan so he prayed that saying, I'm going to keep them in the world. I want them to be in the world. Um, and, it, and it gets worse. Uh, later on, that last year, uh, if you remember, like in, there's different places in the Gospels, but Luke 9, 23, where he says, if anyone, man or woman, is going to come after me, you must. Not American version. You have some options. It's you must. If you're going to follow me, You must do this. Not, well, I've got a lot of options. I'm kind of half-heartedly going to do it. Hey, when it's convenient, then I'll do it. When it makes sense, when we've got time for it. No, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, Now think through their culture. You would go on a pilgrimage, you would go places, and walking into certain cities that the Romans had come and controlled, outside the city, on the road, there would be one or two or three or four crosses. You're you're going into the market. You're wanting to have a good Saturday time going to the mall or Tulsa Hills, and and along the way, it stinks when you get there because you've got to cover your kids, uh, and, and these people are groaning, gurgling, and what, what were they doing? They were trying to show people, if you disobey, if you get out of line with Rome, you Jews, this is what will happen to you. And so Jesus throws in stuff like, you must take up your cross daily. So um, do you know how crazy and radical that sounds when, when you, you don't know that this guy is going to die on the cross? So think through. So I had some slides up there just showing... So. You're over some people's house for dinner. You've never been to their house. Maybe it's a small group. And you walk in, and they're nice, and people are talking. And then you look up, and you go, Honey, I think think that's an electric chair they've got hanging over on the wall. And they've got another smaller picture of an electric chair over in the kitchen by the sink. And then when you walk down the hall towards the bathroom, they've got a, a picture of a lethal injection table. In the bathroom, they've got a lethal injection table, but it has some flowers around the outside of the frame and stuff. And so you just kind of, you know, you go, you have dinner, you're talking, and you're just like, hey, hey, I did have a little question. Like, are you just a weird, morbid family? Like, I notice you have big pictures of death penalty type of instruments. And, and so Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross daily. And this first parable, this first parable when he's showing this, this is what he's saying is you're about to start learning that there's an evil enemy that's coming against you. And so for those people who are believers, the world is set against you. My kingdom is going to be countercultural. It's going to be counterintuitive the way that you respond in love and mercy and grace when people deserve some other treatment. It's going to be countercultural. And so you think through those type of wordings, this crowd was shocked by his, his wording. So I'm just trying to paint a picture for when we read it, we know about the cross. We know about the resurrection. They did not know that. So let's look at the, what we do. We've taken away, let's look at the cross. Just Google the cross. This is what you get. I mean, millions of them. You see what we've done? We've kind of taken away the gruesomeness, Right? So people weren't wearing on a chain a little picture of a cross in those days. It would be like you wearing a picture of a, a lethal injection table or an uh, you know, electric chair. And so we've taken away the gruesomeness. Now, now, what we've tried to emphasize is the peace, obviously, and the reconciliation of the cross, which is good. That, that's good. But when you take away the gruesomeness of what happened, you're taking away the substitutional atonement part of wrath. It is God's love. It is God's peace. It is reconciliation. But the reason all those things happen is because of wrath taking place. And so um, you, you can just see there. And so here's Jesus going, this is just my intro because this next year, my language is going to get tougher and tougher and tougher. And, and this parable is, is the first introduction to that. I'm just letting you people know, if you do follow me in this world, it's going to be tough. Evil is going to be everywhere. And so it's a beautiful thing. He's just shedding some light for their understanding. Um, and by the way, when you think through that, as his clarity gets worse, uh, his clarity gets, um, the words get worse um, about the sacrificial, radical cost of following Christ, isn't that what we want? Uh, by the way, I don't want my kids to, I don't want this idea of just a shallow Christian faith for your kids, right? For, for the next generation, um, I want this radical type of following for kids. Um, it's the best thing for Christianity. It thrives and flourishes in that situation. Um, last week I quoted Al Moeller where he had said, um, Nominal Christianity is being completely wiped out in one generation time. That doesn't mean like this, this younger generation has wiped it out that they failed. It's saying across the four, four and a half, almost four and a half or five generations that are living now um, in one generation time, in a 20-year in time, we're seeing nominal Christianity wiped out, just, just like taking a Clorox um, wipe and, and wiping the bacteria off the slate. And so there's a good end of that. There's a clarity to that. It still means that we've got to be faithful and that the harvest is coming. Um, so we don't want a politically enmeshed Christianity, right? We, you, you need to read a little history. If that, you think that one political party or, or one type of government is, is what we need, we, you don't just read history. You don't want that. We don't want a celebrity enmeshed Christianity. We, we don't want a socially enmeshed Christianity. We want a raw Jesus cross-following type of Christianity, and that doesn't fit in this world, and Jesus is introducing that in this parable. Um, He's just shedding light. Uh, Later on, he says things like, and when you are handed over to be persecuted and put to death, you'll be hated by all nations because of me. So you know when he says those things again, they're they're at parties, they're they're at dinners. Sometimes he's like the the guest of honor, and and they're at these parties and these feasts, and everyone's having a good time, and and then Jesus goes into one of those type statements, and and you know the guys just are like, man, he was telling the joke one moment. And you know what happens? Just like in our scenario, you could be at someone's house having dinner and then a couple of people get up and you're just standing over, there's a couple of guys or a couple of ladies standing over in the side of the room just talking like, why does he always do this? Like everyone's having a good time. Jesus then throws out there, hey, and when you're put to death for my name's sake, they're gonna think they're serving God. Like, that just runs the dinner. You know, like, and so uh, this guy's probably thinking like, man, schizophrenic Jesus, just, you know, he's all happy and uh, all great things are happening. And then here comes this other side of Jesus and Jesus is going, it's not schizophrenic, Jesus. I, 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 this is who I am but I'm letting you know this is how things are going to be for you. And so thinking through their culture, thinking through their, their perspective and their anticipation of what the kingdom was looking like, he's letting these 11 disciples know, because notice what happens. Speaking to crowds in parables, hey, you 11, Judas, I know you're not listening. Hey, you 11, this is what it's going to look like. You're, you're sown as believers, as followers of me, in an evil world where Satan is always trying to destroy you. And that's what your life's going to be like. Um, so um, it's, it's really a really beautiful thing, but it's also kind of the first intro to that. Um, when, um, If you remember, when we get to the end, even after the resurrection with Peter, after, ask, after asking three times, Peter, do you love me? Um, Jesus' response to him is, truly, truly, Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted But when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and another is going to dress you and carry you to where you don't want to go. And then the writer, John, his closest friend says, this was, he gives a little commentary, this was to describe the type of death that he would do in order to glorify God. And so, you know, church history tells us that Peter was going to be put to death on a cross like Jesus, and he said, I'm so unworthy, and that he and his wife and maybe kids also were put on a cross upside down. And so just, just, just pictures there. And so those are things that Jesus said again, like, this is really harsh. I, I don't want to hear this. And, and yet there, there's something beautiful about it because God is saying in the middle of that, I'm with you. I see all that happens there. So the main point that we want to get, remember on these these parables, you want to get what is the main point. So God's plan is to redeem a people. We're going to see the harvest in the parable. God's plan is to redeem a people who will constantly be surrounded and impacted by sin and evil. But God's sovereign purpose is not to remove his redeemed, but to use redeemed man as an instrument against evil in his redemptive plan. Um, So just a beautiful picture. God sovereignly rules all the earth, and he sees the good and the evil and will not allow evil to go unpunished. But he will reward those who are faithful to him. So it's a picture of God's kingdom being placed among other kingdoms of the world. So think of the Old Testament. Old Testament was this picture of Israel, a nation state, different with God as king among all the other kingdoms. And so we we should pick that whole piece of the Old Testament and go, oh, that's what he's doing. It's different. It's similar to Old Testament Israel, but the church is different. And so there are some similarities, but the church is going to be set just like Israel amongst um, other kingdoms of this world with with satanic influence, all kinds of systems that are set against God's word and, and his authority. And so, um, the main danger, if you don't have that understanding, is that you're going to have a distorted view of life and God. So if you go into Christianity and you want to be a believer and you buy into the idea that only good will come to my life or when something really horrible happens, where is God? My mom's got cancer. Uh, my kid gets diagnosed with so-and-so. Someone has a, a tragic car wreck. Where is God? He can't be involved. He was, just, he was the late ambulance driver. He just got there too late. Three minutes earlier and he would have saved the person. No, that's not a clear view of God. We're in a fallen world. And so Jesus is sharing all of that on a quick, um, broad view and and giving the disciples more understanding. So let's read through this um, um, in Matthew 13 there. It starts in um, the parable of the weeds in verse 24. So it says, he he put another parable for them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And just, we're going to go into this, but that that's the hinge point. Jesus is... is throwing the question in, because his answer is, is what the complete shift is on. He said, he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, no, because in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then we're going to skip over those next few verses of the the mustard seed and the leaven. Those kind of fit together. But let's go to verse 34 the prophecy of the parables. So, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Notice the crowds, he spoke in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to the crowds without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what was, what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. And then the parable of the weeds explained is in verse, starting in verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And the disciples came and said to him, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the In the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So, Father, we do that. We, we ask for you to give us ears of understanding, not, not just for words on a page, but the, the spiritual intent for our souls from this parable. That Jesus was taking the spiritual intent from the heart of the Father and the Spirit and the Son and trying to distribute that to us. Spirit, would you do that work to help us understand how we can be kingdom citizens in a world that's set against your purposes and your ways, that is set against your holiness, that is set against your righteousness, that is set against all of your authority. We know that your authority is good and your authority is gracious and loving. And so we pray that you would help us to understand that in a deeper way from this parable. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's look first at just, just break it down. And I'm gonna do something a little bit different. So the, on the um, slides, I'm just looking at, I want you to be able to compare when he first brings it up and he's telling the parable. And then on the other part of the slide, so you can see here's the explanation later on. So he first brings it up and then here's, here's when he goes into a little bit of commentary there. So first of all, just verse 24, he put the parable for him, the kingdom of heaven may be compared. And we know that's what we've talked about before. It's two things compared to one another to bring out a spiritual meaning, a man who, good seed in his field. And then in verse 37, he says, the one who sows the good seed, it's the son of man. And we know the son of man is him saying that to these people, um, letting them know, I am the one that Daniel spoke of, the son of man. In the Old Testament, there are several references, different places where he was spoken of as the son of man. And so he's saying the son of man is the one who sowed this seed. Um, He's revealing big picture vision, but notice also it says that This man sowed good seed in his field. Um, later, we're going to see the field is the world, and we'll go into that in a second. But notice the ownership. So one thing that, that you need to understand, and I think this helps, um, identity is a huge thing for me. So if, if people get their identity right, their identity in Christ, it handles a lot of other issues. So like in our on our culture, our secular culture, self-esteem movement, um, you be yourself, um, you discover who you are. Well, you, you can't discover who you are from your own evil heart. You can discover what things your heart desires or what things drive you or what in insecurities even drive you, but only when you become a follower of Christ and and have that conviction of, man, I've been owned by God because he created me. So Psalm 139, he, in your mother's womb, he knew what you're going to be like. And so that he owned you because he first created you. And then when you become a, a person who understands the gospel, that he redeemed you. He doubly owned you, right? And so you're redeemed. And then when you're saved... You understand that he owns you two different ways. And then realizing that once I enter into heaven, I'm going to be in a glorified state that's a sanctified and glorified state. It's like a triple ownership. And that will be a true identity with no sin, no bad thoughts, no hurtful things. And so that's your true identity in Christ, which is his righteousness and um, Imputed to us, which we will be living in then, the way he lived and treated and loved and had mercy and grace and all those things on the earth, that's what's imputed to us. That's our true identity. So if you're a parent who's so worried about the self esteem of your child, if you make that the idol, um, that, that you missed it. Hey, if you handle, hey, self esteem will come as a ripple effect, you'll feel fine, tall. Short, skinny, awkwardly skinny, awkwardly overweight. Um, Pimples, no pimples. Crazy, curly, wiry hair. Um, Freckles, no freckles. Dark skin, light skin. Doesn't matter. God meant it to be that way. God meant your identity is not on those things. Your identity is in Christ. If they come into that understanding, um, it's all right that I'm different from the 10 people around me. My identity is rocked in Christ. I'm okay with what people think of me. It doesn't matter. And if those people all think I'm a loser because I don't have these certain shoes, they're probably not great friends to be around anyway, right? And so if their identity is that, you don't have to go, hey, I've got to do these things so my kid's self-esteem will be good and they'll have confidence. Man, get their identity settled in Christ and then their self esteem, they'll have a natural self esteem, and hopefully it won't be super prideful, like I'm just better than everyone, and it won't be so you know like shameful, where they're just always feeling defeated. Where their identity's in Christ. You didn't make this team. You didn't make this um, theater play. You, you weren't. You, you didn't get the the, the the raise when they're 25. You didn't get this job. Someone was selected over you. God loves me. My identity is fine. It, it doesn't destroy me. You lose a job, things fall apart, things hit your life. It, it's all all okay because God sees me. I've been planted and He owns me. So understand the idea of His ownership is our identity in Christ. Um, and I'll tell you that that's easy when they're all nine and six and three, and they just kind of parrot what you say, like "Hey kids," and learn like "Hey, let's learn this lesson." God loves us, right? Yeah. All repeat back to me God loves us. It's harder when they're 14 or 15 or 16 and surrounded by a whole bunch of people who are telling them, here's what you should live for. Here's what's important. Here's what a real man is. Here's what a real girl looks like. And you've got to keep fighting and fighting and fighting that culture to get identity, identity in Christ. And and there's many, many days where most of us, those teenage years, the same thing. That's hard in those times. And so just fighting for identity in Christ. And and Jesus is going, hey, I own the field. I own it. I I see what happens. I see what's going on. And so um, all the beauty that comes out of that, just just the idea of his ownership of the field. And Jesus, the second thing he brings out is the enemy. Um, He says, while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds. He lets us know in verse 39, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. Um, Think through this. Um, This is something we just probably, we we don't even realize. Think through this. If God or Jesus or the Bible had not revealed that we have a dangerous enemy, just think through what, what life would be like if we didn't know that we had a dangerous, deceptive enemy. And so what did God do? They're going to need to know. Let's go all the way to Genesis 3. First story, you know, like first dramatic story is, hey, after everything's great and wonderful, here comes an enemy. And so right away, God wanted us to know. Jesus in this wants his disciples. These 11, remember, the crowds are gone. He's explaining to the 11, I'm wanting to let you know, you've got an enemy that's going to be fighting this thing called the church from now on. Every step of your life is going to be this battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And so uh, Jesus lets us know that. Um, Aren't you thankful? So we we take that for granted. How many people do you know that are lost people? Have you heard people? I mean, it kills me when I hear people talking about this circumstance that hit life and they're looking at it as if it was blind chance. There's just a random act and that maybe good luck will come later on. Maybe it's the lottery. Maybe they'll have some good luck and, and this thing will pop up in the night and just thinking like, there's no God in your equation at all. Like, how scary is that? And that when bad things happen, that, that there's not an enemy out there, that, it, it's just, that it's just like, well, just fate. It's just the way it happened. Like, no, that, that dismisses the idea of God being over all this. This is my field. I see what's going on. An enemy planted those things. An enemy is trying to destroy you. You need to know that, disciples. So then he goes to the seed. He says, the good seed are the sons of the kingdom, the sons and the daughters. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. So the good seed are believers from that first parable, the ones who took the seed and it bore fruit and it lasted, right? They had the receptive heart, the softened good soil. Hey, so if you've understood this message, 11 disciples, and you are a follower just know that there's also bad seed that Satan is trying to attack. You've seen it in, our own, in his own life. So he's showing there there's also two sowers. Um, some commentators talk about um, back in that day, and this is this, not just the, the Jews in that uh, specific time right there, but back in that day, there's a, there's a type of um, grain that's called darnel. And so when they planted it, they literally did this. I mean, this is nuts to me. They still do this across the world. This happens in India sometimes, um, it happens in some different places in Africa. So you have wheat, which is, you know, if you're an agricultural community, um, and then enemies of, if, if we all lived here and, and we hated Muskogee. We would send a tribe of people and and go and plant darnel in their crops. So we know this huge field. We'd go out in the night, like Jesus' story, and plant darnel along where they planted the wheat. So darnel, when it grows up, when it comes to the ground, it looks just like wheat. When it gets a foot tall, the stalk, it looks exactly indistinguishable from wheat. When it gets three or four feet tall, it's still indistinguishable from wheat. Um, and then when it starts to sprout, it still looks like wheat. It's only at the very end, when the grains come out completely, that you go, "Oh gosh, one of these is true wheat. One of these is fake and darnell." And not only is it an impostor that looks indistinguishable, it also is poisonous. It also will kill the true wheat. So it's like a weed that that kills it. So they were doing that. And so people in that 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 town and those people in, the, in that culture understood that. It still goes on today. The Romans and the Chaldeans even, they did this as a practice. And so they would do it at night, go in and plant seed, just leave. You know, People are getting poisoned later on. Uh, their crops fail. The people don't have any food. Who do they come to? You need some food? Well, we're going to jack the prices up. That, that was just a plan. So he brings this out to say, that's how dangerous these seeds are. Um, the, 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 the idea there is evil may sometimes look very, very good. Um, evil around you may put on the mask of looking really good. So believers, no, have discerning hearts. That there's things that may be looking good, and it's not true following Christ. It's going to happen inside the church. That's a whole new argument we're going to get into in just a second. Um, and that's in this next stage here, the field. Let's look at the field. Um, this is a very important learning distinction. So many um, commentators, um, some had interpreted this parable as Jesus teaching about the evil inside the church, instead of the, the 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 evil inside the world. So the question was: Is Jesus speaking to the condition of the church here? I'm just speaking to inside the church. And so some commentators land that way that he's talking about inside the church. Now let me let me let me give you a little bit of just a cultural historical perspective. Let's think through. 50s, 60s, America's come through industrial revolution, industrialization, we're champions, we're we're now the world power, we're incredible, so we're we're the winners Um, along with that. um, Our country's doing great financially, all these things. Um, At that time, 60s and 70s hit, Big drug cultures going on, right? And then, so then what was happening at the same time inside the church, there was so liberal theology, remember, 60s and 70s, where they were questioning um, the, the, the inerrancy of the scripture. So, a lot of these commentators were dealing with this huge, which is a huge, huge deal in the 60s, 70s, and 80s on inerrancy of scripture. So, major, huge denominations with, you know, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 churches, um, some Lutherans some Presbyterians, some, uh, just, just different, large, and, and some Baptists, and some Assembly of God. The idea that the Scriptures have errors in it, that God's Word is fallible and there's errors in it, um, was the big thing in the 60s, 70s, 80s. So they were, So these commentators were dealing with that cultural situation going on and going, that's exactly what we're seeing, folks. This is what Jesus was talking about in, in the parable of the weeds. Inside the church, there's all these weeds planted, and so a lot of commentators influence pastors, preachers, and everyone from that. So you can see that little little circle of 60s, 70s, 80s, inerrancy of Scripture um, was a big deal. And so that's where a lot of those people began to think through that. And so, yeah, I think I've got a slide there that showed the idea was, oh, this is good seed planted and also weeds planted inside the church. When actually Jesus tells us, no, the, the field he goes on to say in explanation, the field is the whole world. And so it's, there is going to be evil planted by the evil one, and then I'm planting my good seed, people who will become believers. And so, um, and even if, listen to me, if you land over there and go, oh, I think it is talking about the church, you're, you're not going to hell. It's not, it's not unorthodox. It's not bad. It's a parable. There's interpretation and everything. But just know that, uh, that probably the majority of sound uh, people afterwards would say, hey, um, it, it's, it's a picture of the world because Jesus says the field is the world. And I'll, I'll give them credit later on in um, a certain verse when he says, I'm going to send my reapers, they're the angels, and they're going to gather and they're going to get rid of all the evil inside the church or inside my kingdom there. That's where people will use that verse. But when Jesus says it's the world, I think you're safe to land on. It's the world that he's talking about. Um, So it is true that the church will never be completely without sin. We all have indwelling sin, everyone inside the church. We're never going to be completely without sin holy and righteous on our own. We're always going to have sin because we're made up of humans this side of heaven. So yes, there will be um, a time when he does um, kind of bring justice. So we can know that inside the church, but the bigger picture is for the world here. Um, So um, Jesus states it clearly, the field is the world. Even John MacArthur and a lot of those of guys said the picture, uh, this is the picture of uh, the church in the world. So believers amongst lost people and evil not the world in the church. Is there worldliness in the church? Yes, there is. Is there evil in the church? Yes. Are there false prophets? Yes, Jesus tells us that. But he was going, this, this initial thing, just a big picture, I own the world. I'm going to have believers come, and you're going to be surrounded by evil. So the next question is what really sets up the whole thing for the surprising answer. And notice Jesus, in his wisdom, he sets this up just on the spot in his godliness, um, being able to create this story and and insert this into the story. In verse 27, he says, The servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? So so this is the hitching point. Jesus, the one making up the, the story, he inserts this question. So notice this, the servant's role is not to be the ones going and judging and ripping out all, the, all, the, all the, the weeds. They said, do you want us to go and start ripping out all the weeds? Notice that that's not the servant's role. That, that, that's at the end time during the harvest, he's going to have angels do that. Okay. So our role here is not to go and just destroy lost culture. Because why? Because parts of lost culture, God is going, I want them to receive the gospel. I want them to understand the gospel. So that's we have to be careful in our day, whether it's social media, whether it's politically, whether it's our own little personal stances, where we go in like, we hate you. You are so evil. You pitiful, killing, murdering, horrible. Maybe true, but Jesus just didn't come across that way to people. He didn't handle it that way. So when Christians turn out, show up on the scene, and more hate comes out. We missed the point of this parable. He's he saying to them, they're going, remember, remember the, the, the disciples come time? Hey, hey, Jesus, I feel poor powerful. You want me to bring down lightning bolts of, from heaven? Let's destroy this place. And she's like, are you guys not getting it? Are you guys not getting it? Like I'm I'm all some of those people may be saved. You know what? Hey, here's this 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 abortion plan. Let's just bomb it and get rid of all of them. Or Let's be patient, trust that God's working, and let's go and love on them and share the gospel and share the gospel and share the gospel. And maybe over time, it shuts itself down anyway. But in in the process, they're hearing truth and hearing truth. And only God can do that. So whatever it is culturally, just just know that, be careful, because Jesus here gives a a good picture here. Hey, they're going to both grow together. And when he says grow together... The good are gonna grow and the evil are growing together. It's not the evil gonna stay an inch tall and the good are gonna grow, you know, 50 feet tall. They're gonna to grow together is what he says. Evil is gonna expand also, but the kingdom, we'll get into the kingdom expanding in those next parables. But the key question there, so notice this question that he throws in from the servants. So, so servants at this point would be people who become believers. Here, here's at the essence of this. And so for believers, think through this. You've probably had this question. Why are you letting evil happen to me? You think that's good for the disciples to know? You think that's good for believers to think through? Why, why my family? Look, are you kidding me? Look, look, at, look, they care nothing about you. They're living for materialism. They're living for sexual immorality. They're living for their own selfishness. Look what I'm trying. God, how many of the Psalms in Old Testament places, how long, O oh Lord, are you going to let your faithful ones continue to be beat down by these evil people? How many times is David in the psalmist crying out, how long, oh Lord, why? Jesus goes, hey, I want to let you 11 disciples. They didn't have clarity on this back then, but that was set that way. And actually, you're going to be used as instruments of the gospel of me on the cross for those people that are trying to destroy you. And so... How long, O Lord, why are you letting these things happen to us? Uh, Remember our main point. God's plan is to redeem a people in the harvest who will constantly be surrounded and impacted by sin and evil. That's one side of it. You've got to be understanding that so you absorb some of that. What did Jesus do? He didn't get a a real easy life after it came out that he was the Son of God. He absorbed pain. And so here's a beautiful picture of mercy. Mercy is this idea that I'm willing to join you and suffer for your sake. I will suffer myself for your sake to be able to show you mercy. So, a beautiful picture. You probably got people in your life that are like, so I'm doing, so I'm doing. Family members and, and, and people around your life and coworkers and stuff, children sometimes, parents sometimes. And you go, I'm willing to absorb that and still remain a faithful gospel presence in your life. A faithful, gentle gospel presence. Not, not, does it mean you drop truth? You can still bring stuff up, but not in this accusational attacking way, but this way of absorbing. That's what, that's what mercy does. Does it feel good rubbing on the soap of mercy? It sounds good. It doesn't feel good when you have to exercise mercy, right? And so that's what he's bringing out. So, hey, you're, you're, the main point, I'm redeeming a people there, but you're going to have to not only be surrounded by that and take shots, but you're going to also have to continue to minister mercy. You're going to be a gospel of, of grace and love, even when they come and attack you. All those later warnings, they're going to kill you thinking they're doing service to God. That's, that's just crazy thinking, but that's what Jesus is bringing out. And remember the main danger, it's a distorted view of life if you don't have that understanding. Isn't that the question that pops up repeatedly in story after story of the Old Testament? Why are the people of God the ones going through such trials while evil people seem to live the good life? And so you may not experience that a lot, but as you get older, there'll be times when you'll look around, you'll even look at people inside the church, other believers. Um, to look at, man, it doesn't it never bothered me till we uh, were in church planting like other churches. In fact, I would look at them like, oh, look at that ridiculous thing. They spent millions on that. That could have all went to missions. They could have just built a water. You're like three months into church planting, and there's somebody with a little shed with a steeple, and you're like, I'd take that one. That's nice. Like all of a sudden, any building, you're like, Ew, you have concrete? Is there running water? Are those water fountains? This is phenomenal. Like, And so you can get jealous just over like, man, hey, and then you find out I, I'm on this... Dumb email. It's called Ministry Watch, and uh, it just it, it's it's you know three times a week. Of here's five huge scandals of this this predator of this abuser of this guy stealing money from the church of this guy who's abusive and all the and, and they're just like and sometimes it's like and the church is laying back in next Sunday and you're like are you kidding me? So I'm I'm little like God, what well, what's going on here? And so what about the people that are sitting there going through that? There, there's going to be evil inside the church. There's going to be evil in the world. Jesus clearly wanted us to understand that. If that's the hinge point, hey, believers, disciples, you 11, I'm I'm telling you, you're going to be surrounded by evil. It's going to try to destroy you. You need to know that there's an answer for that. And so he says, um, when they said, hey, should we go and destroy? He says, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along. Notice the wise, caring farmer going, hey, church, beyond you 11, I love you. I'm caring about you. The reason we don't rip out whole things is because some of you in Tulsa are going to need salvation. And America was founded on some things that were not so righteous and holy. America, there was a lot of evil things that come about also. So we can paint a picture of history and just look at just this one side, but there's a lot of other things. So, you know what? You wouldn't have made it your way anyway. India, yeah, Pakistan, China, Russia, we're getting back to the point when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s like Russia was the bad scary enemy that was going to blow up the world. Now we're all the way back to that again. you know it's like another guy like just read history, this happens. And so um, do we just hate Russians now? like we hated Muslims for a long time? So hey, no we're going hey, we understand this. there's, there's, there's um, people in the world that are set against God and his authority. I wanted you guys to know that. Don't, you don't rip that out and destroy them and just kill it because I may want to redeem some of them. Now, that's hard for us to understand, but notice he's, he's stressing patience. and he, Here's a word that, that, this is not an evil word. It's been taken and used. Tolerance, even in our country. So when I say that, I know some of you are like, oh my, here we go. We're going off, the, here's the slippery slope, and we went dive off. No, tolerance is church discipline. You're sitting in, in, in group and some people say something kind of crazy and you're like, I'm going to be patient and try to get with them later on to find out what's going on there. But they clearly said that's just a tolerant type of thing. Tolerance is a good thing. Are you, are you thankful God has tolerated your sin? Beautiful word then, right? But I know our, our secular society has used tolerance to mean if, you don't, if you're not tolerant of everything, of everyone that's opposed to you, um, when I was at NSU, I sat down with my chair of the, the, the psychology department and she, she had all the different colors on her door and she was the one leading NSU as the most liberal, her, her daughter was at Boston University and so she was this professor that was leading the way. And so they had this symposium, they had this big um, forum and they were like, we're having this table of tolerance. And so she knew that Jamie and I were coming off mission stuff. And so and I would talk to her, and she thought, she, I mean, here's her, right? Furthest extreme, Boston liberalism, and here I am a missionary. And so she, she thought I was nutso, nutso, nutso. And so I, I went to her, and I said, hey, Ms. Wagner, hey, um, can I come and be one of, a person representing Christianity at your table of tolerance? And she's like, and she just had this awkward, like, gagging, repulsive, that's ridiculous thing. she's like, Sankey, no. No, you, 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 you can't come. It's a table of tolerance. I was like, exactly, yeah. And I was like, oh, are y'all you, are you you tolerant to everyone except someone who disagrees with you? Because I thought that's what tolerance was. And so, she, they, so they wouldn't let me come and be just a Christian representative at a table of tolerance at, at this thing that's supposed to be all about tolerance. So tolerance, don't be afraid of that. It, it just means, hey, God's tolerated us. We, we, we need to remember that as, as believers in an age of we can do whatever. Um, Let them both grow together. Notice this wise farmer understands the full harvest. Um, We can see Jesus love and care for the wheat, like us in America. Um, The harvest, the last thing there. If the servants are not to be ripping out weeds, then natural question that he knew that they would ask, what are we supposed to do with our lives? What are we to be doing if we're not just attacking evil and ripping out evil? Because that's what we wanted to do. Be patient. Be loving. So let, let's see. Um, he says, no, listen, gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat. Let both grow together. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles. And then the explanation later on in those verses says, gather the wheat into my barn. So he, he's saying, I'm, I'm going to take care of you. I, I, I see what's going on. I know what you're going through. I am going to gather you. I know it feels like that you're going to go through all this and, and nothing's working out. And in 43, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Are you understanding? He who has ears, let him hear what I've just said to you about this kingdom. I own this world. So it's this idea of this faithful gospel presence. The constant question, the continued pressing question for those near Jesus was, are you about to restore your kingdom? So think through this. He's told this parable, goes on a year later, he's told them repeatedly, hey, it's about to go down. Everyone's going to turn on me. They're going to um, they're going to turn on me. They're going to try to murder me. You guys are going to betray me and they're like, "Oh no, no, no. You've got it mixed up." Jesus like, "No, it's going down." And then he goes dies on the cross, resurrects 3 days later. They still don't understand. And then even after that, you get to where he's literally at the place where he's about to lift off and ascend up to heaven. They still don't get it, right? They still aren't even getting this parable. And what do they say in, in the first chapter of Acts, as the church is about to launch off, hey, Jesus, at this time, are you going to restore your kingdom? Where, where's, the, where's the army coming over the hill? I mean, because this is crazy. No one raises from the dead. No one dies on a cross and raises from the dead three days later, just like you said, we're just popping up in miracles all over the place. You've been here 40 days. Are you about to restore the kingdom? They still don't get it. And notice his response. So there's that question. Hey, and at the root of that question, notice what's at the root of that question. I don't want to have to suffer. I want a future eschatological living in the middle of this world. I don't want sin to hurt me. I want to know that, that death and harm and cancer and painful situations and sin are, will, will not affect me. I want it to be like that. And they, they weren't going that deep into it, but that's at the essence of that question. Let's bring in the kingdom now. And notice Jesus' statement 2,000 years ago. Very sharp. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father has fixed in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you are going to be my witnesses in this town right here where you just saw me murdered for my witness. That's not fun. If you you, you wear this T-shirt like I was wearing, they put me to death for wearing this T-shirt, everyone has to wear this T-shirt and stay right here in town. Well, what if they come and kill everyone that has the matching T-shirt? That's what I'm saying. But I told you early on, get ready. There's evil around, and it's going to come and come after you. You're going to be my witnesses. Um, and then as he said those things, if they were looking at him, he lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Matthew 28, a very well-known thing, and we make the emphasis of make disciples. Again, he's about to lift off, right? It's the end. He's resurrected. He's been killed on the cross. and they saw. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Why do you think they doubted? That seeing him do all the stuff, I think some were still asking this question that he's dealing with here. How long, O oh Lord? Are you, you going to do it now? Are you, you going to make it where all of us are safe and nothing, nothing bad happens? And he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples, baptize in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And behold, teaching them to obey all that I've said. And notice the two bookends there. All authority has been given me. I told you guys in the parable I owned all of this, and I see what's going on. And then, behold, I'm with you even to the very end of the age. And some of you are going to die. And so, just that 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 picture there, I'm with you to the end of the age. Uh, We forget that he's making the emphasis there about uh, I'm with you always. Luke chapter 10, 2 through 12, he said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he says, Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Oh, That was further revelation of the the, the big general rule of, I'm telling you, evil is going to be around you and they're going to try to take you out. And remember, Satan doesn't want to sprain your ankle. Satan and his minions, they don't want a sprained ankle. They want your complete life destroyed. They want your witness to Christ destroyed. They want your love for God and trusting God completely diminished. And they want your whole soul destroyed eternally. They don't want a sprained ankle. They want soul destruction. And Jesus is telling us over and over and he's saying, and I'm going to be with you. So the harvest it's it's plentiful, but the workers are very few. So he's talking about there in that picture, this whole world that we've got here, we need workers sharing the gospel out there. He doesn't so so just go and come up with strategies now. He says pray earnestly that the Father would send out laborers. So a beautiful picture um, that he has. So what does that all mean? Um, if we look at God's main point, uh, the main point of this again, God's plan is to redeem a people, the harvest. And so just right there is one of the first things. Are, are we thankful? If you, if you know you're part of the harvest, are, are we thankful for that? That's why we do the Lord's Supper every week. Are we thankful for that? God's plan is to redeem a people who will constantly be surrounded and impacted by sin and evil. God's sovereign purpose is not to remove his redeemed, but to use redeemed man as an instrument against evil in his redemptive plan. So, the significance for that, I've got like four little things of significance. First of all, just the idea of rest and trust in God. Are you resting and trusting in God? Understanding that there are going to be bad things that happen and evil and harmful things because we're in a fallen world. There's going to be, and so remember the three levels there's your own sinful heart, there's Satan, who probably may not know your address or name, but then there's the fallen world, just the fallen world we live in. Everything's been. impacted by sin in a fallen world. And so when you're praying and dealing with things in life, sometimes it's your heart that, that, that needs some work done. It's not Satan who come, and come after you. It's your own heart that's just jealous and just angry. Sometimes it's people attacking you, harmful people. Sometimes it's a broken culture, uh, a broken situation where people need medicine, can't get medicine. People need uh, healing, can't get healing. People need um, justice, can't get justice. It's, it's a broken, fallen world. And so knowing how to pray through those things. So for us to go, Jesus told us it's going to be like this. Where's my rest and trust? Um, Also, God planted you perfectly where he wanted you. In Acts 17, we know that it says that he determined the very time, the decade that you were going to be born, and the place, the, 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 the geographic point where you were going to be born, for you to live and dwell in that place and to find God and find your identity in him. And so this Jesus changes everything in that. So you come from a, uh, your, your family of origin, he knows, he knows, he knows it's jacked up, but he wants to continue to sanctify and redeem. Um, he knows what you've been through, whether it's abuses or, uh, you know, or too much encouragement, whether you've been entitled or, or abused. He's going, you need to grow through those things. Jesus changes everything. He also wants us to know through this that God sees you and he's not far from you. The evil that hit your life will tempt you to think that that's not true. So when bad things come, it will tempt you to think, well, I guess God doesn't love me. Or did I do something that just earned this horrible thing that happened from God? I remember one time when we, Jamie and I, the first time that we were, uh, we had a miscarriage. And I remember both of us separately didn't even know it, but we just started thinking, is this something from our teen years? Or our, our tw- like did we do something that this is what God did as a little like, hey, I'm gonna teach you. I'm gonna hurt you this bad. Just that, idea. And, and, and thankfully, we had some loving people that are just like, "That's not God. God's not doing that on purpose." And if He says in Scripture and comes and tells you, "Here's I'm doing this because of that," but that, that's what we tend to think. He's this miserly God. But God sees you, and the evil around us that Jesus spoke of in the parable is going to tempt us to believe that He doesn't care. Um, and then last, the, the gospel and the cross—it it screams that He. He was abandoned so that you and I would not be abandoned. The guy telling the story is saying, hey, I'm going to come and rescue you, and then I'll never leave you. I'm going to be there with you through all of it. When you're getting attacked by evil, turn to me. When bad things happen, turn to me. I'll be there with you in that. The very guy telling the story, making up the story, is the provider and the sufficient one for everything as we go through those things. So just a beautiful thing. And last, just one last beautiful perspective as we go towards the Lord's Supper. If you put all this together in this early story, and Jesus is telling this big picture parable, and then you see the eye-opening vision casting, that the church age was started. He invested his life in these 11 small people. His power, his gospel, the Spirit has carried out Acts 1-8, what we just read, Acts 17, to where the story from Jesus has witnessed God's sovereignty through 20 centuries of evil and the best that Satan could do the best that Satan could do. And yet you and I are sitting here today from a parable of, hey, I'm a sower, son of man. Your worship is going to be all about me. I'm telling this story because one day it's going to be us. I know it's hard. I know the world's evil. I know all this stuff and you're going to go through so much. But I'm telling you, I'm going through it too. And I'm going, to, I'm going to pay for you. You don't have to pay for it yourself. I'm going to redeem you and then it's going to be us. Just a, and 20 centuries later of all the evil, all the sins from every human and Satan scheming. And and we're sitting here today from Acts 1-8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth in God's beautiful gospel and beautiful power. From that seed idea, we are that seed, the sons and daughters of righteousness. We are in a field. We have the opportunity to be a faithful gospel presence in God's beautiful design with God's beautiful care as he's interrupted our lives and has ongoing power. We have no idea with this power of this God that we're dealing with. We have no idea of what he wants to do. So let's spend some time responding to that as Brad and comes up, we'll go to the Lord's Supper in a second. am gonna give you a couple moments to respond. Father, we thank you for just this beautiful picture that Jesus shared. We thank you for the reality that you opened our eyes to see. Thank you that you are guiding us and showing us that there is evil around us, that there are people even inside the church, but also in the world around us that Satan has sown. And God, we pray for those people around us that we know are just completely lost and completely separated from you, awaiting the wrath of God and don't even realize it, blind. God, we pray for those. We know that as you teach about the harvest and you teach about us shining as bright lights, would you allow us to shine during this church age? Not shine for our own sake, but shine with the gospel of Christ, with the light of the world in a dark, dark place. As as, as glamorous and as shiny and as new and as rich as it may look, God, we know that there's brokenness and fallenness, and you told us that. So we pray that you would allow us to embrace our identity being redeemed by you, the believers, the the, the good seed, and that you would also allow us to embrace as those who would pray earnestly, that you would send laborers into your harvest field. And so if the field is the world, Lord, would you allow us, just a small, small group of people, many more than 11 in here, but would you allow us to be a light of the gospel in this dark area around us? Would you change our perspectives on things that need to be changed? Would you allow us not to have an entitled or Um, um, attacking Christianity, but but just a Jesus-following, loving, merciful, truthful expression. We thank you for um, your spirit. We thank you that you've told us that evil exists and is going to be attacking us. We thank you that you modeled that for us and that you empower us through that now. We go into this time in response to you. In your name we pray. Amen.